If you want warmth, you must stand near the fire. If you want strength, you must withstand the weight. Like raw metal, through force and flame, we are tested. As the hammer falls, we are shaped, bent, made into something new. From scrap to substance, from crude to crafted, with every strike formed and made with purpose. If you want faith, you must be forged, refined by fire. Well, good morning to you guys. I am so thrilled to be here with you. My name is Jason Hale, and I get the privilege of serving as our campus pastor at our Nolansville location, and I have been looking forward for the past several weeks to have the opportunity to be here to open God's Word with you. I do want to offer a special welcome to all of you who are online as well, no matter where you may be in the world. We are so thankful that you have tuned in with us today, and we pray a huge prayer of blessing over each and every one of you. Before we start our Forge series today, I have a question for you, actually a couple questions for you, and I want you to just be as honest as you can be this morning by a show of hands. Has anybody in the room ever needed a little direction in life? Okay, has anybody in the room ever needed to be reminded that God is with you when things just aren't making sense? Has anybody in the room ever had God reveal something to you, speak something to you through your word, through his word, and you just don't know the first step that you should take? Or how about those of us that have ever asked God, where are you in the midst of this trial or this difficult circumstance? If you raised your hand on any of those questions, I'm so thankful you're here. And I, in fact, ask you to not miss any of this summer study because Forged is going to seek to give you the wisdom and the insight that you need as you grapple through those questions by looking at the life of Joseph. Now, there are some of you in the room that didn't raise your hand for any of those questions. And one of three things has to be true. One, you just decided you didn't want to play our little game this morning, and that's okay. Some of you guys know something that I don't know. Or thirdly, you're just lying at church. And so, you know, I would just encourage you to be aware of continuing to not lie when you are here in, uh, in the presence of all of these clouds of witnesses. Our summer study is called Forged, and we're going to be unpacking this character in the Bible named Joseph. This is not Joseph who is the earthly father of Jesus. This is Joseph from the Old Testament, the one that had the amazing Technicolor dream coat. And for the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Joseph's life. Today, we're going to look at the dreams that Joseph had. Next week, we're going to unpack in grand detail the family dynamic of Joseph and all of his brothers. There were lots of actions that jo Joseph took. There were situations that God put him in. There were tests and there were trials. In fact, people's lives were going to be preserved as a result of Joseph's obedience. But Joseph is also a clear example of someone who needed some direction. He had some questions. He needed to know where God was in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his circumstance. And something that we know about Joseph is that Joseph had to be forged. Joseph was a man that needed to be forged, and I know that that is true for us as well. The story of Joseph reminds us that forging is a process that God uses in our life. The story of Joseph reminds us that forging is a process that God uses in our life. If you'd like to take notes, we've given you some blanks that you can fill out there this morning. And see, forging occurs when metal is heated to a high temperature. You saw in the intro video this morning the, the process of molding metal when heat is added to it into something new. If you were a fan of Little House on the Prairie, you're going to remember that Paul made horseshoes. 
He would forge horseshoes out of metal, and he would put them on the family horse. Some of you guys are into this show, Forged by Fire, on History Channel. It is like one of the most awesome shows. I mean, you just want to get a big basket of buffalo wings and watch this show because they take these pieces of metal, and they add heat to them, and they forge them in to something new. And what we see in Scripture is that God is going to do that for Joseph. God is going to accomplish a plan through Joseph's life, but he had some rough edges that needed to be sanded down. In fact, I would venture to say that most of us understand that. You see throughout Scripture that Joseph really probably wasn't even that aware of what God was doing at this moment in time as we kick off our series today, but he was going to realize ultimately what God was doing. The prophet Isaiah gives us another example of God molding us and God making us. Isaiah 64, 8, the prophet Isaiah said, Yet you, Lord, are our Father, and we are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. I want you to look at your neighbor today and say, You're just a big lump of clay. You are a big lump of clay in God's hands. And see what God decides to do. I would encourage you not to do that anywhere else besides here just in that moment. Don't say that to the person on the plane next to you tomorrow morning. What God is doing in and through your life is he is molding you. You and I are a lump of clay that he is using for his purposes. And so whether it's heat that's added to the equation or whether it's God's hands that is molding us, the moral of the story today is that we are all a work in progress. God has things that he wants to do. And in fact, I would venture to say most of us understand about one-tenth of what God wants to do in our life. Some of us understand about one one one-hundredth of what he is doing currently because he's going to take us through the fire and he's going to mold us and he's going to take us on some detours. But he has a plan that we seek to desire and that we seek to live for. And so this morning we're going to go to Genesis chapter 37 to kick off this series called Forged, looking at this guy named Joseph, starting in Genesis 37 verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. Now Jacob is Joseph's father. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Israel is the name of Jacob. Jacob's name has been changed to Israel. So it's the same guy. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their fathers loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheath rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So just to hit a few highlights of these first 11 verses, early in the story of Joseph, we see that there's some family drama that is unfolding. Because Joseph is a 17-year-old teenage boy, and he is the favorite of his father, Jacob. He is the son of his 
wife that he loved, Rachel. And Joseph was a dreamer. He was having these really bizarre, weird dreams about his brothers bowing down before him and about his mom and dad bowing down before him and being a 17-year-old, maybe immature, a little bit of naivete, he shares those dreams with all of his brothers, which does nothing to bring them closer together. They were already angry. They were already jealous of him. And he says, oh, by the way, at some point, you are all going to bow down to me. So he had given his brothers just reason to despise him and to be jealous of him. But there's actually more that's going on here. Some of you guys who, are the, who have younger siblings at home, if you are the oldest or the middle, you, you, get, you get this story. And you say, well, this is a really easy story. I can explain it to you. I can understand why Joseph was the favorite because the youngest child is always the golden child in the house. They're the ones who do no wrong. They're the ones who always say what they want to say even if nobody cares what they have to say. I am the youngest in my family. I have absolutely no idea what you all are thinking about right now. I have no idea about this. I don't believe that to be true. It looks at first glance, though, that that's all that's going on. He's just the youngest, and he's the golden child, so therefore he must be the favorite. When in reality, there's a background piece to this that we need to understand this morning, a background piece about Jacob, who was Joseph's father, and Rachel, who was his mother. In fact, we have a handout there for you in your worship guide today that gives you a lot of genealogy of all of this. If you ever invite me over to your house, I encourage you to please put that out on the coffee table. That little genealogy, so I can be really impressed with what you have been studying. We're not going to go through over all that, but you can kind of refer to that as we say these names so you can understand where Joseph comes into this family line. See, Jacob had four wives, but the wife that he really loved the most was the one that he pursued first. And her name was Rachel. If you go back a couple chapters to Genesis chapter 28, this is Isaac talking to his son Jacob, who was Joseph's father. Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padanaram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel, and take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So see, Jacob's father, Isaac, commanded him, go take one of Laban's daughters as your wife. And so that's what Joseph does. He goes to Padanaram. They're at this well and they're feeding their sheep, they're watering their sheep, and up, up walks Rachel. And this is in chapter 29, verse 9. While he was still talking with him, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. And when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. And he embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. So you read the story and you would think, well, all seems well. Jacob loved Rachel. Isaac told Jacob to go marry one of Laban's daughters, so what possibly could go wrong? He says, I want to marry your daughter Rachel. And Laban says, well, you're going to have to work for seven years then to earn the right to marry my daughter. And so he works for seven years, but instead of getting Rachel, he gets Rachel's older sister, Leah. And Leah was not married at the time, and Laban said, it wouldn't be right for me to give you the youngest daughter, so you can take Leah, and you can marry her. And so he marries Leah. But he says, I really want to be with Rachel. And so he says, well, you have to work seven more years to earn the hand of Rachel in marriage. And so he works seven more years. And so for the next 14 to 20 years, there is this love square that starts to form. 
where he begins to have children with Leah. He has not had a child with Rachel yet, but Rachel and Leah have these slaves, these maidservants who work for them, and their names are Bilhah and Zilpah, and they served Rachel and they served Leah. And so they bring Bilhah and Zilpah to Jacob, and they say, well, you can have children with them as well, because see, Rachel did not have a child yet, and she wanted to have a child. But the children that came with Bilhah and Zilpah, they were conceived out of jealousy because there was infighting in this family dynamic. But in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22 and 23, we see something here. We see that God remembers Rachel. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and he enabled her to conceive. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. And she named the son Joseph. See, it makes sense to us all of a sudden as to why the brothers were jealous because Jacob had already had 10 sons prior to Joseph, but the 11th son comes along. And it was the first that he had with Rachel because Rachel was his first true love, the one that he wanted to be with from the beginning. So the brothers were jealous and they hated Joseph because of this. Not only is he the youngest, not only is he the firstborn of the one who Jacob loved, but in addition, part of the discord in the family was amplified by the fact in Genesis chapter 37, verse 2, you're going to see that Joseph, a young man of 17 years old, he was tending his flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So Joseph is this 17-year-old who is tattletaling on all of his older brothers. He's being kind of young and immature, and so he's saying, hey, Dad, guess what? I'm bringing you some bad report about them. And by the way, brothers, I know that I'm the youngest one, but one of these days you are all going to bow down to me. Mom and Dad, you're going to bow down to me at some point as well. So you can understand why there was disunity in this family function. But another piece of the story that we don't even really understand yet Jacob really couldn't understand this yet because the whole story has not unfolded yet, but part of the discord was also centered around the fact that what Joseph's dreams contained were true, actual events that were going to happen, and this bothered his brothers. He says, one of these days you're going to bow down to me. I don't want to give away all of the next eight weeks of sermons, but his brothers eventually are going to do that. They didn't fully understand it, though. Joseph didn't fully understand yet what all God was doing. His brothers didn't, and of course, his father didn't fully understand at all. But God had some forging that he had to do on Joseph. And for the next several weeks, as we continue through the book of Genesis, you're going to see what that process entails. But I want us to stop for a minute, and I want us to fast forward. Fast forward several thousand years in the future to now, to today, the 21st century. And it may not be dreams that you have at night where God reveals a plan to you, but God still can speak through dreams. He still does speak through dreams. He speaks through visions that he gives to people. And God also speaks to us through a variety of other means and methods. He speaks to us through one another. He, of course, speaks to us through his word. He has given us the Holy Spirit as a comfort and as a guide. All things that are used by God to teach us something about himself. But God still can speak through dreams, does he? Absolutely. Now, I wake up having the craziest dreams, the dreams that I'm pretty sure God is not speaking through, the ones that center around me opening a pig farm or only having Cheetos for the rest of my life, and it's just these really bizarre dreams. And some of you guys, are, you know what I'm talking about. Many of you don't even remember the dreams that you have in the morning, but for those of you that do, I'm going to help you out because we're talking about dreams today, so I thought it'd be fitting for us to do a little bit of dream interpretation. So I opened up Google, 
And I Googled, what do my dreams mean? And the first website that popped up, this is what it said. So it's on the internet, so it has to be true. This is accurate information. It was on the first pop, it was on the first Google page that opened up. So this is really accurate information for you guys. If you dream about roller coasters, it means that there is a risk in a journey that you're ready to embark upon. A really risky endeavor is in your future, so you should follow your passion and do it. Roller coaster dreamers, take note of that. If you've ever dreamed about an alien talking to you, then it can mean that you need to try new things and you need to meet new people. If you dream about the ability to fly, this is a classic dream, but it usually means that you're happy, and that you're uplifted, and that you're motivated. If you dream about spiders, then it means that you're not in control and you're being excluded by someone or a group of people from something that they're doing together. Or if you're like me and you dream about falling, then it might mean that you're thinking about letting go of something you have been holding on to for a while. Now, I don't know if you believe any of this to be true. I'm not sure that I believe any of it to be true. It's kind of speculative to get into the world of what do our dreams really mean. But one thing that I do know throughout Scripture is that God spoke to people in dreams. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Samuel. He spoke to David. And here in Genesis chapter 37, he spoke to Joseph. And through these dreams, what God is doing is he is giving insight to his people about what is going to happen. And see, God has so many methods today that he can give you insight about who he is and about what he desires to do in your life and the things that he desires to accomplish through you and in you. God has surrounded you with Christ followers this morning that can speak wisdom into your life, that can speak truth into your life. God has given us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and it allows us the wisdom to make the next step that God is asking us to make. And so whether God speaks to you through dreams, or whether God gives you visions, or whether God nudges you through that still, small voice that we would call a conscience, or whether God speaks to you through something in a daily quiet time or a conversation with one another, when God speaks, he's trying to get our attention because he wants us to respond. When God speaks, he's trying to get our attention because he wants us to respond. If you're here this morning and you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the thing that God is speaking to you about right now is to trust him and to give him control of your life, to give him lordship over your life, and to say, God, I, I, I don't want to try to be in charge anymore. I want to trust you. For some of us, we have dreams that have lied a little bit dormant. And what God is asking us to do right now is to breathe new life into those things that he is asking us to do. But when God asks you to do something in whatever means, whatever methodology, however he chooses to reveal that to you, when God asks you to do something, we respond. Because see, the dreams that God gave to Joseph, they were all about fulfilling God's plan. The dreams that God gave to Joseph, they were all about fulfilling God's plan. And the same is true for you and I today. When God is working in your life, when God is making something known to you, when God is forging you, when God is nudging you, it is because he is fulfilling a plan that he has created. Joseph looked at his brothers with this dream, and he said, listen, guys, this dream that I had, this is in verse 6 and 7, we are binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheath rose and it stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. See, this dream was going to come true because God's plans were going to be fulfilled. This dream would come to fruition. Some of you now are sitting here and you're, you're grappling with the things that God is asking you to do. In fact, if I were to take a microphone around the room and have everybody share, 
I'm sure we would hear a lot of themes. We would hear things like, God is asking me to change my career, or God's asking me to trust him to go on a mission trip, or God's asking me to, to step out in faith to start that new ministry, or God's asking me to, to rally my family in a spiritual direction that we have yet to do before. Whatever it may be, see, God is giving you a dream and God is giving you a plan because it's about fulfilling his plan. It's not about fulfilling your plan. One of the lies that the enemy tells us is that we're the only ones that really matter. When in reality, when we fulfill a dream that God has given us or when we say yes to what God is asking us to do, it's really not about just us anymore, but it's about a whole other group of people that we may not even know or may not even be able to see yet. This past week, I had the opportunity to travel to the Amazon to be a part of our Amazon Pastors Conference with Justice and Mercy International. It was an amazing week. There were 100 pastors that came from all along the riverbanks of the Amazon River to this conference center, and we trained them, and we spent time with them, and it was just such a fantastic week. And as we were traveling home, God spoke to my heart, and he showed me a glimpse of why we were there. And one of the things that I felt like God was really revealing to me and one of those things that he was just kind of working on my heart about was to help me understand and help me to see that there were some pastors that were there that had an investment not been made in their life. They may have thrown in the towel and they may have just quit and they may have said, I can't do this anymore. And because an investment was made in them, it gave them the energy to keep going I've been to a community called Red Hill in South Africa about 10, 11 times, and every time that I'm there, and I look in the eyes of these kids through life skills education that your resources through Rolling Hills and through Justice and Mercy International support. Every time I'm there, I see in the eyes of these kids that they're beginning to understand that God did not create them for insignificance, but that God created them for significant work. I have sat knee to knee with orphans in Moldova like many of you have, and you've looked in the eyes of these young men and women and you've begun to see that God is working on their heart and God is showing them that their story in life and their plot in life is to not become a sex slave in a brothel, but that God's plan for their life is that they would become a missionary and that they would become a pastor. I could say the same stories about the Path Project, 413 Strong, the Bridge Ministry, the Nashville Rescue Mission, the Father's Son Bowl. The list goes on and on and on and on. I am so thankful that when God placed the dreams up on people's lives who gave them the vision to start those things, that they said yes, and that they were obedient to the things that God was asking them to do. Because see, their obedience, in many cases, has outlived and has multiplied far greater than they could have ever dreamed about, or they could have ever imagined. The same is going to be true for you and I, because the dreams that God is giving us, the things that he's revealing to us, the things that he's asking us to do, they're not just about us, but it's about another group of people that we may not even know. Because see, his brothers didn't get it. When he shared his dreams with them, his brother said in verse 8, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. When I think about this passage, I, I picture Joseph as a 17-year-old telling all of his older brothers what's going to happen, and they're just kind of shaking their head at him. Like, you little squirt. How dare you, as the youngest one here, to tell us that we are going to bow down to you. But as I've studied Scripture, I realize Joseph is actually in pretty good company. In my quiet times, I've been studying First and Second Samuel. And in First and Second Samuel, you're introduced to David. And David was also the youngest, one of the youngest of his family. 
And David is sent by his father to go check on all of his older brothers who are fighting the Philistines. They're out on the battlefield. Some of you remember this story. And so he says, go check on his brothers. He doesn't send him to fight. He sends him with a cheese plate. He says, get some cheese and some wine and take it to your brothers. We want to make sure that they have some sustenance out on the field. So David swings by Panera. He buys a cheese plate. You know, he buys some soup. And he heads out to the Philistine battlefield. And he's checking in on everybody, and Goliath comes out. Goliath, this nine-foot giant who had been taunting all the Israelites, and he comes out and he says, Red Rover, Red Rover, send me an Israelite over so I can destroy them. And David says, who's standing up to this guy? And they say, nobody is standing up to him because he's a giant. And David says, well, I'm going to stand up to him. I'm going to fight him. And all of the older brothers looked at him and said, you, you, the youngest runt of the crowd, you are going to go fight the Philistine. And he says, yes, I am. They actually tell him, this is in Scripture, you can look this up, it's really interesting. They actually tell him, why don't you go back and tend to your little sheep farm? Why don't you go back and tend to your little flock of sheep that God has entrusted you with and let the men stay out here to fight this battle? But David looks in the eyes of Goliath and he says, Goliath, you're going to come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And if you know the end of the story, the giant falls. And David conquers. Conquers in a situation that nobody else thought he could conquer. And just like David and just like Joseph, God is giving some of us dreams right now, and those dreams are not making sense to you. In fact, those dreams may not make sense to you. They may not make sense to others. But one of the amazing attributes of God is that he does not have to run his plans by you for your approval. God has great plans for you. God has many amazing characteristics, one of the greatest is which he doesn't have to get your check of approval on the things that he's asking you to do. God is asking some of us right now to start something new, and we're saying, well, God, if you would make it really abundantly clear and show me what the next 10 years is gonna look like, then I will do it. God is saying, I don't have to show you what the next 10 years of your business plan looks like. Other people may not understand what God is calling you to do. In fact, you certainly may not understand what God is calling you to do. But just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that you don't do it. And just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that it's something that you have made up. Because see, these very brothers who hated Joseph for sharing the dream, this is a spoiler alert, but you guys are going to stick with us all summer. I know this is a spoiler alert. The very brothers who hated Joseph, they were going to be kept alive because of this specific dream that he had. All because a dream was given and there was a dream that was shared and that dream was not very well received by his brothers. So what do you and I do when God gives us a dream? What are our steps? What are the things that we do next? First, I would just encourage you to marinate in it. If God's revealing something to you, if God's sharing something with you, simply marinate in it. Share it with some trusted friends. See if it is in alignment with what God is asking you to do. Because see, God's never gonna ask you to fulfill a dream that is sinful. Take it back to his word and see if this is something that he has asked other people to do. And if it is something that you see in scripture, then you can rest assured that it's probably something God is asking you to do. Sit on it for an appropriate amount of time. Pray for wisdom. And then when God says, this is in fact what I want you to do, these are the things that I'm asking you to do, I encourage you to act on it. Act on that dream. Some of the greatest blessings in my life, and I'm assuming this would be the same for you. Some of the greatest blessings in my life are a result of God stirring a passion 
and me having the courage to say yes. It's God stirring a passion and you having the courage to say yes and the wherewithal to know that when I say yes, he is going to forge me. And I have some rough edges that are gonna need to have some sandpaper applied to them. And he has some things that he is going to need to work out of me. I remember when I asked my wife on our first date, and you guys may remember those moments when you have that trepidation of, is she going to say yes? Is she gonna say yes? And she did, and those dates led to more dates, which then led to an engagement, which she said yes to as well. And now I have the most beautiful, beautiful wife in the world and two amazing little kids. And I'm thankful that I said yes to that. I remember 15 years ago, God opened a door for me to start an internship. I had a mentor whose name was John Barron, and John had invited me to come after I graduated college to be a part of this internship program. And so I didn't really know if that was the right path to take or not, so I said yes to it. And so this was one of those internships. Some of you guys have had these internships before where the pay is so low, it's actually zero. This is a zero pay internship, and you have to raise your own support to actually put food on the table and to, you know, have a place to live. And I look back at that internship, those two years that I spent, and I'm so thankful that I said yes to that because that was the two years where God changed my path. I was headed on a different path, and God tapped me on the shoulder and said, no, I want you to take this path. I have some forging to do in you, but I want to take you down this path of ministry. So I pray today that you would act upon what God is stirring in you. Some of us are waiting right now for God to make something clear that he's already either abundantly made clear through Scripture or perhaps he's made clear to us once a year for the past 10 years. And my prayer is that we realize this morning when God is guiding you, when God is guiding you, you can trust him with the details. When God is guiding your steps, you can trust that he will be in the details. Now, later in the story of Joseph, you're going to see this more clearly, but when God is in it, God will do it. Amen? When God is in it, God will do it. The writer of Psalm 37, 23, and 24 says that the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. All throughout Scripture, we are never promised that it's going to be easy. Any of you who have stepped out in faith would be the first to say, when you answer what God is calling you to do, it is not necessarily an easy path, but according to the writer of Psalm, he holds your hand and he firmly plants your feet. When I was a kid, one of my favorite toys was, was those uh, punching bags that were weighted at the bottom and they were plastic and you would hit them. Do you guys have these? Girls have these? You would hit them and they would go down and what would happen? They would pop right back up and you would hit it really hard and it would go down and it would come back up, and it was kind of a personal goal to say, can I get this thing to stay down? And you never could unless you manipulated it in some case, and you hit it, and it keeps coming back up. And I thought, what a beautiful illustration of what the Christian walk is like, because see, there's an enemy that's trying to knock us down, and when we walk hand in hand with God, we get back up every time. There's gonna be times that we're gonna stumble. There's gonna be times that things don't make sense. There's gonna be times when we're gonna trip over our own two feet, and we're going to pop right back up because those who walk hand in hand with God may stumble, but they will not fall because the Lord upholds us. Paul knew this as well. He wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is possibly one of those most overlooked but needed passages of Scripture. For us to be reminded that God is both before us, God is with us, and God is after us. 
There's not a detail that is ever lost on him. Joseph needed to be reminded of this. He especially is going to need to be reminded of this in the weeks that will come. And some of you right now are in the midst of situations where you just simply need to be reminded that God is before you, he is with you, and he is the one who is single-handedly holding all things together. So because of all this truth, because of everything that we see in Scripture, we know that from the beginning, see, God was writing a story with Joseph, and God's been writing a story with you. From the beginning, God was writing a story with Joseph, and he has been writing a story with you. If we hit rewind, and we go about 20 chapters back in the book of Genesis, we see kind of a precursor to what this story is going to entail. Back in Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, I I want us to go back to the beginning a little bit. Because see, as the sun was setting, it says in Genesis 15, Abram fell into a deep sleep. This was Abraham. His name had not been changed yet. Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So you see, God spoke to Abram back in, recorded in Genesis 15, and he says to Abram, For 400 years your descendants, which he consequently didn't even have at that moment in time, they're going to be strangers in a foreign land. God also says, I'm going to deliver them, though, from the mistreatment. I'm going to deliver them from their captors. And not only am I going to deliver them, but as they make their exodus out of that foreign land, in their freedom, they're going to come out with great possessions. Now, if you have familiarity with the book of Exodus, or perhaps you've seen the movie The Ten Commandments, you're going to know that the Israelites were held captive in Egypt. This promise that God gave Abram happened Abram was the great-great-grandfather of Joseph. The 11th oldest son of Jacob, the great-grandson of Abram, this guy named Joseph, one day, what is he going to do? He's going to invite all of his brothers to come to Egypt and to live. How did God's chosen people get to Egypt? They got to Egypt because Joseph invited them to come to Egypt. And when they came to Egypt, he provided them sustenance and he provided them food so that in the midst of the famine, they would not die. And eventually, God did deliver his people from the kind of oppressive state of the Egyptians. And as they were exiting, they did take the gold and they did take the silver and they took all the fine linens and they took all of the precious rubies. And a little bit later in the Old Testament, God's going to ask his chosen people to build a tabernacle. And the very items that they used to plunder the Egyptians, the very items that they took with them, are the things that they're going to use later to build a tabernacle. And all of this story started with a dream. It started with a dream that God gave to Joseph. And when Joseph shared this dream with his brothers, this dream made his brothers really jealous. And in a fit of rage, in a moment of jealousy, They decided to take matters into their own hands and try to put Joseph in his place, and they sold him into slavery. And where did he end up? In Egypt. See, God was the only one who could write this story. The nuances of this story has to have a sovereign, holy God as the writer. The prophet Malachi says that I, the Lord, do not change. 
If God was writing such a detailed story in the life of Joseph, I can only assume that he's writing the same story for us. From the beginning, God has been writing a story with your life. And that story is not about you, but it's about what God wants to accomplish through you. So as we progress through this series, I want to ask you again, have you ever had a moment in your life when you needed some direction? Have you ever had a moment in your life when you needed to know, God, where are you in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this obstacle, in the midst of this circumstance? Has God ever made something clear to you through his word and you just didn't know the next step that you needed to take? If you've ever asked those questions, you're in really good company. You're in really good company with these men and women in Scripture. So I ask you this morning to give God a blank check. Give God a blank check to write however he wants in your life. Just proverbially say to God this morning, Lord, whatever it is that you want to do in my life, however you want to take this story, I give you free reign to write it however you desire. Are you going to allow God to give you the dreams that he desires and to write your story specifically like he wants to write it? And then ultimately, will you allow God to forge you, to take you through some of the trials by fire, to mold you into who he desires for you to be as you walk with him? Because see, the story that God wants to write, it's better than anything you and I could ever write. It's better than any story we could ever conjure up on our own. And he doesn't promise us it's going to be an easy path, but he says, hold my hand and I'm with you through this journey. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for meeting us here. Father, thank you for the ways that you have forged us, the ways that you have molded us. I pray right now that everybody who is in this room, those that are watching online, those that will watch this at some later date, that the dreams that you're giving us, the things that you're revealing to us, that we would have the obedience and that we would have the wisdom from you to say yes. Because see, those dreams have far-reaching implications, just like they did with Joseph. And so, Lord, when we say yes, we know that you're going to forge us, and you're going to strengthen us, and there's going to be areas where we need to be reminded more of who you are. So you have free reign this morning to work in our lives, free reign to work in our church. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do, and we give you all of the praise and all of the glory, and it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.